My name is Kate Smith, and I'll be reading from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As John said, I am very excited to be with you and to be preaching the word of the Lord. If you're new with us, uh, I'm normally the one, he is much taller than me, isn't he? Look at that. His mouth comes to the top of my head. I'm the one normally singing over here, but with a much lower mic stand. Uh, so if you don't like what you hear today, come back next week and you'll hear Pastor Dave preach and maybe you'll like that said. No, it's always good. It's always good to be able to come and proclaim the word of the Lord. And uh, we're in the middle of a series called Gather, Grow, Give, and Go. And in this series, we're looking at our mission statement, which is to glorify God by being and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the, in the first uh, sermon of the series, two weeks ago, Pastor David looked at what does it mean to glorify God? And there's a whole lot that he said in that sermon, but to simplify it, he said this, it really means to glorify God is to make much of God, to make much of God. And we do that through, through living according to his word, and we do that through proclaiming his greatness, telling of the goodness of our God. And last week, he looked at the first, uh, the gather, grow, give, go. And by the way, those four things simply help us understand in simple, practical ways how to live out that life of being and making disciples. So he looked last week at the gather and how we glorify God as we gather, as we're doing right now as a church. And so you would think that I would jump into the uh, grow and give, but I'm actually going to save those for Pastor David. And this morning, we're going to look at, since we looked at gather list this week, what does it mean to glorify God as we go? What does it mean to glorify God as we go? And we're going to look at that through the passage that my daughter read for us a moment ago, um, Matthew 28, known as the Great Commission. As we start, though, I want to I confess something to you. This passage has scared me many times in my life, especially in my teenage years into the 20s, thinking this is something God's telling me to do, that I actually have to go and do something. And what is this? It's proclaiming the gospel. So, so here's what I would do. I, I reasoned like this. I said, okay, here's how I fulfill the Great Commission. I just invite people to church and then allow the pastor who's, who's been ordained to preach the gospel, allow him to share the gospel, and he can close the cell of salvation, right? And and. There's many churches I've been to that they've taught that. They said, just bring your friends to church. Just bring your friends to church. And you would think I would correct this once I actually became a pastor myself. But no, I, I turned it a little bit more and said, okay, now it's their job to invite everybody to church. And since I'm on stage leading worship, I'm doing my job of proclaiming the Great Commission. Now, did I really, really believe this? Of course not. But it was a good enough excuse for me when I laid my head on the pillow and wrestled through this. Well, at least I'm doing something, Right? Why, though? Well, because what if, what if I didn't know what to say to them? How do I even start the conversation? What if they ask something I don't know the answer to? Or, this really scared me, what if they knew more about a part of the Bible I didn't know the answer to? They made me look like a fool. Besides, I reasoned that the pastors and other people had the gift of evangelism, but I did 
not. Have you felt like that ever before? Have those things ever crossed your mind? Fear of losing friends, family, maybe fear of losing a job? Well, in the Great Commission that we're going to look at today, there are three things that I want us to look at that are going to point us back to Christ. And I think this is important, this pointing back to Christ. Because when we don't act because we have fear, what are we doing? We are looking inwardly. And so we need to be pointed back to Christ. And this, this passage actually helps us do that so, so that we can look to him and live for his glory and what he has called us to do. So the three things that are going to point us back to Christ and then how those three things are going to bring us hope and encouragement as we go to live out this life of sharing the Great Commission. And so let's start looking at, by looking at Matthew 28, 18. 28, 18, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The first thing we're going to see here is the authority of Christ. The authority of Christ. When I think about authority, I think in the context of what we see here on earth. We sang a minute ago, kingdoms rise and fall, right? Nations will come, they will go. Same with leaders. Leaders come and they go. I think about, um, um, here we live in the county of San Diego. And as those who are residents and those who live and work in San Diego, they have somewhat a say over our lives, don't they? But, but San Diego County cannot tell Orange County what to do. They, they, they have limitations on that. It can't tell the state of California what to do. Just like California has its boundaries, its limits, it can't tell Nevada, Utah, whoever else. They may try, but it can't tell them what to do, right? And this goes up to the federal level. The boundaries exist. And not only that, there's rules, there's laws that, that keep the government limited on what it can do, even with its own citizens. We understand that here on earth, authority is limited. It has boundaries. Compare that to what Jesus just said. He says, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. He, he's saying to us that, that he has full, absolute, sovereign control over everything. And in heaven and earth, he's saying whether it's physical or, or spiritual, whether it's flesh or, or demons or Satan, he has all authority over heaven and earth. 1 Peter 3.22 affirms this authority. He says, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Ephesians tells us not only does he have all authority, but it says it's everlasting. It never comes to an end. Ephesians 1, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. His authority, it's everlasting. It, it has no boundaries. It has no limits. It's what Daniel prophesied about Christ. He says, and to him, that's Jesus, was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The first thing I want us to see here is Jesus is completely sovereign over all things for all eternity. 
I'm going to pause real quick because that slide has more blinks and your paper had more blinks than I intended to. And I'm thinking about my kids who are taking notes. I just saw them a second ago. I don't know where they moved to. But they're taking notes. They're like, Dad, if you move too quickly, I won't be able to write that down. So I didn't mean to have that many blinks for you on one slide, but there you go. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm stalling for a second to let you write. Sovereign's a hard word. Jesus is sovereign over all things for all eternity. Isn't it interesting, though? What did he say about this authority? He said, it was given to me. Given? Well, given by whom? Well, Jesus answers this in Matthew eleven twenty seven. He says, all things have been, get, been handed over to me by who? My Father. John confirms this when he writes, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. 1 Corinthians 15, 27. God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, you may ask and say, wait a minute here. Isn't Jesus God? And, and, and doesn't Colossians say that he, he created all things and he holds all things together? So if that's the case, does that not mean he already has all authority? He's already in control. So how can someone who already has all the authority be given authority? Well, I'm glad you asked. We got to remember Christ, right? First, let's think of him as the son of God. He, he's part of the Trinity. He's been around forever. He will be around forever. And, and as, as a son of God, he has always had all sovereign control, all authority. But then we also remember that he became the son of man, fully God, fully man. But, 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 but we are told that he, as he came to the earth in Philippians, that he emptied himself. He put the limitations of man upon himself. And so while Scripture tells us that, that he spoke in power, that he healed in power, his, his power here on earth, that his authority was still limited. It wasn't actually until that he died on the cross and that he rose from the de dead, conquering sin in the grave, that the Father gives him all authority. Now, all authority belongs to him as the Son of God and as the Son of Man. No human being has ever had authority, nor were they ever. And so why, do we, why, why is it important that Christ starts off here and says, hey, all authority has been given to me? Why does it matter as we talk about the Great Commission? Well, because... It's when we hear verses like Matthew 16, 18 that says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. All right, being a Texan, I'm going to work in a Texas illustration here, okay? In 1831, Mexico gave Texas a cannon. And this cannon was to help protect itself. But only four years later in 1835, during the Texas Revolution, Mexico wanted that cannon back. That makes sense, huh? So they sent some soldiers to come get it. Texas wouldn't hear of it. You know what they did? You've seen this flag. They, they made a flag. They drew the cannon on it with a star that says, come and take it. Well, what were they doing? They, they were making a battle cry to build morale, to give hope, and a defiant hope. Right? Spoiler alert, Texas won. They became a state, right? But, 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 but Christ is not saying, hey, I'm going to build my church and hell's not going to stop it as, as a battle cry to build morale amongst his people. He, he, there's not this defiant hope. 
Christ is saying, this is going to be done. Satan, hell, can do nothing about it. And why can he say it? Because he has all the authority, all sovereign power over all things. And so as we go and do the Great Commission, knowing his authority, we know that the authority of, of Christ empowers us. The authority of Christ empowers us. And that's the rest of your first slide up there, your first blink. Guys, the, the, his authority empowers us because it's the foundation on which we are sent out into the world to go and live out the Great Commission. It, it's the reminder of his control and sovereignty over every circumstance that comes, us, comes our way. Giving us confidence and assurance as we follow him and obey him. The authority of Christ it empowers us. But it's also through the authority of Christ that, that he gives the next statement. Look at verses 19 and, and part of 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. The thing, second thing we're going to look at is the commission of Christ. The commission of Christ. The last couple of weeks... If you've been with us, you've seen that Pastor Dave has talked about this bus that I'm, he's going to bring up on the screen. It's a Franklin D. Roosevelt. And if you remember, it, it, his grandfather was commissioned to create this, and, and, and he did, and then it was put in the White House while FDR was president. Now, what if I found out that you had a talent? Maybe you could make a bus or you could paint. And I came to you and I said, hey, will you make uh, uh, this artwork of the president of the United States? You may do it, but let me just share the bad news with you. It's not going to end up in the White House, is it? Why? Because I can't put it there. I, I cannot commission you on behalf of the White House. But his ended up in the White House because he was commissioned by someone who had the authority. Listen, commission is dependent upon authority, is it not? And so as we see this and we know, hey, Christ has on his authority commissioned us, the commission of Christ, it emboldens us. It emboldens us because, because he's giving us a specific purpose, a mission, one that we did not come up with on our own. But Christ himself has given it to, upon, given it to us. And this should become a driving force for us. It should embolden us as we look to carry it out. I'm on a mission from God. And of course, we know what that commission is. It's right here what we just read in the passage. To go and make disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. To go and proclaim the gospel. And he tells us two things about it. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And he says, teaching them to obey or observe all that I have commanded. Now, the second one, the teaching to observe, that's more of the growing. So I'm not really going to spend much time on that. Pastor Dave will pick that up next week. So we're going to look at the baptizing in them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't want us to get caught up too much on this word baptism. False theology is created oftentimes because people look at, look at one verse. And remember, we, we were to take the, the Scripture in context of Scripture. And so my point being, he's summarizing a person who's come to Christ. Because you come to Christ, and then you're commanded to be baptized, right? So he's just summarizing that, you've made, that they become disciples, and they have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not the baptism that saves, though, is it? It's a sign that we have been saved. So, so we must first go and proclaim the good news of the gospel. That's what it, we are about as being disciples. 
And you may ask, okay, but, but isn't God going to save those that he's going to save? So, so why must I go? I, I heard this analogy, and it really helped me out a lot. Let, let's say that you wanted to, to, to grow something, um, um, corn. Let's say you want to grow corn. Well, first you've got to go get corn seeds, right? And that corn seed, it's not going to grow strawberries, is it? It's not going to grow anything else but corn. But if I took that corn seed and put it right here, and we come back in the fall, guess what? It's, it's, it's still going to be sitting here. It's going to be nothing but a seed, right? Even though God has ordained that that corn would grow corn, he still has a process for it. The ground still has to be tilled, doesn't it? You still have to, to plant the seed. The, the sun has to shine on it. The, the, the rain has to pour on it. You've got to pull weeds, and, and there's pest control, and, and, and the, the seed has to have nutrients from the ground. And then you plant, after you plant in the spring, you come to, to late summer, early fall. And then there's the corn, and you can't just leave it there, right? You have to harvest the corn. You, you can't change what that, that corn seed is going to become, but there's a process that God has created for it to, to become the corn that we eat. It's the same for, for the souls of, of people. God has an ordained process in which they come to Christ, and you and I are part of that process. It is part of what God does to save people. Look, this is what Romans 10, 13 15, through 15 says. For, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Brothers and sisters, we are being sent. We think of this and we think of overseas missions. We prayed for our missionaries earlier. We're being sent right where we are. In our homes. In our workplace. At the ball fields. That we would share the good news of the gospel to our family and our friends and our co-workers. And some may argue, like I said earlier today, when I said, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I had the gift of evangelism. It really helped me out and was a surprise when I actually looked at Scripture correctly and saw that there is no gift of evangelism listed. Did you know that? There is no gift of evangelism listed. What there is is Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. He says he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, which are preachers of the gospel, Shepherds and teachers to who? To the church. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And of course, what's the work of the ministry? To, 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 to glorify God by being and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this gathering and going and, and giving and growing. All of us, we have been commissioned to proclaim the gospel. I know uh, Pastor David shared this verse last couple weeks, but 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. All of us. If you're in Christ, you have been commissioned to proclaim the excellencies of our God. By the way, as, as, as one of the elders here, it is our desire, I want you to know that 
It's our desire that your friends and family, that the first time they hear the gospel message is not from us. Our prayer and desire is the first time that they hear the gospel message is from your lips. To hear the gospel from you. Some might say, yeah, I, I do preach the gospel, but I, know, I live according to that quote, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. You've heard that, yes? I appreciate the heart behind that quote, which we'll get to in a moment, but it's very misguided. One, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, right? You can't live good news. Good news requires to be proclaimed. You can live differently because of good news. There's life transformation because of good news. But if you're going to preach good news, you have to use words. Some might object and say, well, then what about Matthew 5, 16? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But we got to ask, what's the point of Matthew 5, 16? It's saying that a life lived according to God's glory, according to his commandments, it's a testimony of the saving power of Christ. It's an example, but it is not the gospel. How we live is important. It should match what we say so that when we share the gospel, they go, ah, yes, I know they believe that because I see them live it out. Instead of saying, oh, what a bunch of hypocrites. By the way, the church is oftentimes called a bunch of hypocrites. And sometimes we identify that. Oh, yeah. No, no. A hypocrite is somebody who says something to one person with no intention of living it out in their own life. So we could say, you don't do do this, but I plan on going to do it anyway. Not a hypocrite is, don't do this. Oh, yeah, we still fail and do it sometimes, but we're not making excuses saying it's okay. Do you understand the difference? So don't fall on the slide that your church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. No, the church is full of saints who still sin, but we're still against the sin, are we not? So, yes, we seek to live to the glory of God, but we still proclaim the good news of the gospel. Which brings me to my greatest fear when I was in my 19s, and, or 19s, wow, my teens and 20s. Okay, so I have to use words, but, 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 but what if I don't know what to say? What if I look like a fool? What if I say the wrong thing? What if they ask a question I don't know? Let me give us four quick things to help us out with this, okay? Four quick things to help us to remember. First, remember your identity and calling as a disciple. Remember your identity and calling as a disciple. Many of you may know or may not know that many years ago, I was a police officer. For a short time, but I was a police officer. There's a lot of fun things with it. I still enjoy sitting around talking with my kids about some of the, uh, the calls and adventure I had on that job. And one thing that I will ask usually when we get to the end of those conversations, I'll ask them, hey, do police officers ever get scared? Are they ever afraid? The older ones know the answers, but the younger ones always say, no, never. To which I tell them, no, no, no. They do. I remember talking to um, um, one officer, his story about um, how he got this call out to go pick up some, he was part of a SWAT team. They didn't get to go pick up these uh, two or three guys who were, they were some pretty bad dudes. And it was known that if, if uh, it was threatened that if the police came to get them, they had rigged their house, 
that when they opened that door, the house would explode. Not only killing the bad guys, but also taking the police officers with them. And so this officer's lined up um, outside with the other guys on this cold winter night, about 5, 5.30 in the morning, trying to get the element of surprise. As he tells a story, he talks about how he, he, he knew this was probably my last call to ever go on. So what's he do? Well, there's fear, and he, and he begins to say goodbye to his wife and his kids, and his parents, his siblings, and his mind. What causes somebody, what causes him to still go through something that he knows is probably about to cost him his life? By the way, it was rigged, and by God's kindness, it malfunctioned. But what causes somebody to do that? Because he remembered his identity as a police officer and his calling to protect and to serve the community no matter the cost. We have to remember our identity as disciples of Christ and our calling to make disciples no matter the cost. Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, taking up his cross and follow me. We deny our cross. We follow what Christ has, deny the, follow what Christ has told us to no matter the cost. But we also remember Not only our identity, we remember that salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. Why is this so important? Because when we start struggling, what what words do I use? All these what ifs, remember, their salvation is not dependent on me and not you. We may not have the right words. That's okay. It's okay to tell somebody, by the way, when they ask the question, I don't know. I'll be glad to go look it up. I take that as a God-ordained time to go, to go look up something I don't know about God and learn something more. And then either I can share it back with them if time is allowed, or I've learned something more. Uh, there's also this misconception. Please understand, we as passionate elders do not know everything about this book. We tell people, I don't know. No one knows everything. One thing that people think is, all right, I'm getting too excited. One thing that we think is we get to heaven, we're going to everything about God. If you knew everything about God once to have, you got into heaven, you would be God. God's the only one who knows all things. It's a life, eternally journey, learn more and more and more about our God. This is pretty cool. So while we're here on earth, we have the opportunity by reading his word. But we also have to be careful because we got to have the wisdom to know when to engage people. Because what I mean is some people want to argue just for the sake of arguing. They don't really care about the gospel. They just want, they just want to prove you wrong. What does Jesus say about this? Matthew 7, 6, he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Paul warns, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. One thing I find helpful is try to repeat the gospel as many times as possible in different ways, simple ways, and as natural in that conversation. I don't mean keep forcing it, but as, as you can, just keep pointing them back to Christ. Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that saves. And by the way, the point is not to win arguments. Right? Nobody has been, I shouldn't say nobody, but, but people don't get, come to Christ because you've argued them into it, right? Well, I can't say that because it's the work of the Christ. It's the work of the, the Holy Spirit. 
The point is also not even to bring them uh, to say the sinner's prayer. Uh, there, there are hundreds of thousands of people, even more, who've said the sinner's prayer, and they have not been transformed by the gospel. What are we looking for? We're looking for people to, 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 to be reconciled to God. To become a new creation, as we read. And there's fruit that comes from that, right? There, there should be a transformation that, that causes fruit. And so somebody saying a prayer they may or not mean is not the goal. We want to share the hope that leads to true transformation. That they themselves would walk in the ways of Jesus and glorifying God by being and making disciples. And Pastor Dave will pick up more on that next week. But we share the gospel and we let the Spirit of God do His work. And while it does depend on the Spirit of God, we also continue to grow in our faith. We continue to grow in our faith. First Peter says that we're to be ready to give a defense. And then you say, well, you just said don't argue with people. Yeah, but that's where we have to have wisdom. When are we engaging people who are really hungry and thirsty? That's where the Spirit of God helps us. But as I said earlier, guys, we are learning the rest of our lives and then into eternity. And this is why um, the blessed uh, video that you saw that we're doing in our connections group. As a church, we want to help provide tools that you're able to share the gospel. That we can begin to look at our neighbors and, and build that relationship so that we can share the hope of Christ with them. It's why that we offer the Evangelism, evangelism 101 class from time to time. And what we're trying to do is just give you tools in your toolbox, right? I don't want you to wait for the right perfect tool to come along. We were just wanting to get, well, here's what I think about my six-year-old. He, he will get out his little remote control car and he sees, oh, that's a Phillips screwdriver, right? So he goes to the toolbox. He doesn't grab but a hammer, does he? He can't even grab a flathead. He's learned that lesson, right? So he grabs a fill. My point is, we can't be waiting for the perfect tool. There is no perfect tool. You, you're interacting with people, so there's all these differences to it. And so I don't know if I've ever shared the gospel the same way with anybody. But guys, we're just g giving simple tools, and I'm going to encourage you, don't overthink it. Just share the story of what God has done in your life and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that, that a holy God loved us vile sinners that he sent his son to come and die and take the wrath of God upon him that we could be reconciled to him. That we could be sons and daughters of the one true God and live with him for all eternity. So we continue to go in our faith and, and this is so important. We also pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. I assume and hope that you're praying for the lost. But could we also pray, and should we not also pray like Paul? Look what he says in Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He, he prays a similar prayer in Colossians 4. But not that we'd only pray for those lost friends and, and, and family members, but we'd be God, God, help me. Make me bold in proclaiming this truth. And may God answer the prayers of his people and give us those opportunities. By the way, I want to pause real quick because um, 
a few weeks ago, we asked that you would fill out a member survey if you're a member of our church. And as Pastor Dave said last week, about 50% of you did. And the reason I bring up the 50% is so that you know the next stat I say, say it covers 50% of you. I don't know what the whole answer is for 100% of our members. But out of those who answered, 73% of you said in the last three months you have shared the gospel with somebody. That's encouraging. That means to me that you understand, you know, the urgency of this, that, that the calling that you're looking to make and grow disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And my hope is that next time we do the member survey, it's even closer to 100. Not so I can say, hey, great job, you're a wonderful church, but you can experience the joy of knowing and obeying what God has called us to do. That's his authority, it empowers us, and his commission emboldens us. And then I want to tell us one more thing that this passage does to bring us hope as we look to Christ. Look at the last part of verse 20. It says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You notice sometimes when you have something big coming up in your life, whether it's medical or sports or anything challenging or great, people sometimes say, hey, we're with you. I'm with you. What are they saying? They're offering their encouragement and support, right? That's not what our Savior's doing. He's not just offering this support out there. He says, I am with you. We are not walking this journey alone. Psalm 46, 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. Isaiah 41, 10, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 2 Timothy 4, 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Our sovereign king who has all authority in heaven and earth, he, he has commissioned us for such a great work and he doesn't say, hey, go out there and do this. Good luck. I'll see you when you get home. No, our great king sends us out into the world, and he goes with us. Jesus is always with us. He is always with us, leading us, strengthening us, comforting us. And he says he is with us till the end of the age. Folks, the presence of Christ, it encourages us. The presence of Christ encourages us. By the way, it's interesting to me that this is the period of Matthew's book. He stops with these words from Jesus. There's no ascension. There's no other works that he names or lists. But it's actually quite fitting. If we flip over to Matthew chapter 1, listen how he, in verse 23 how he starts. He says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew starts with the promise that God will be with his people. And then our Lord Jesus confirms and lets us know that the promise has been fulfilled in him. I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us. And in his, his presence, it encourages us as we look to live out the Great Commission. 
I have a question before I pray. Who is it that you, in the next week, two weeks, month, could share the gospel with? Or who could you be praying that, God, make me bold, give me boldness that I would share the gospel with them? And don't be surprised as you pray these things that God will bring up people in your lives that you're not even expecting, maybe even strangers. But folks, we've been commissioned for a great work, a work that is not optional. A work that should be the work of every disciple who looks to glorify God. And so as we look to glorify him in fulfilling this commission and our fears begin to taunt us, May we look to Christ. May we rest on the Holy Spirit. May we remember that the authority of Christ empowers us, that the, the commission of Christ emboldens us, and that the presence of Christ, Him, God with us always, encourages us. And may He receive all the glory and all of this. Let's pray together. Father, what a great thing that you have done. That you have taken us who have rejected your ways, enemies of God. And you have made a way through Jesus Christ that we would come to know you. That we would be a new creation. Reconciled. We are grateful for this, Lord. And thank you for those who have been before us, who have brought that message to us. And Father, help us, please as we look to live out this commission, this, this calling that you put on our lives. May we look to the authority of Christ, God. May we obey his commission. And may we enjoy and find comfort in his presence. And may you be glorified, we pray. In the name of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.